The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to Overland Park Community Church and happy Father's Day uh, to all you fathers. Um, And if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. We had a great week at camp, saw a lot of movement from the Lord and the students. Had a couple of students um, say yes to Jesus for the first time, so we're excited about that. Yeah, Yeah, man, that's good news. Good news. And uh, so anyway, uh, I think we're all kind of recovering. It's taken a couple of days to get back to normal, Uh, but it it was a great week and we enjoyed uh, one another and had a great time. And and I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more stories uh, coming out of the camp experience. And so we, uh, we've been talking about, about um, kingdom and how the kingdom moves and, and who the king is, obviously, is Jesus. And he, he came to set up a kingdom on the earth and, and that as we come to Christ and give our lives to him, then we're part of that kingdom. And there's territory to conquer, which is really other people coming to faith in Christ as well. And that we're citizens and the Lord is... He's issued commands um, to follow, not like options. They're commands. And so there's an expectation for the Lord that we're following him and we're being servants within the kingdom. And so uh, as we think about uh, today, I think it's important for us to review real quick what has happened up to this point in the church. Because the the book of Acts is about the kingdom beginning on, on earth. And that we're all sort of headed toward this climactic event for the second coming of of Jesus. Uh, Just like it was prophesied that he would come the first time, he will come again. And and so as we live our lives, that's really what it's all about, is anticipating the return of Jesus and the second coming. And And so as we think about, well, the kingdom on earth is in preparation for what the kingdom will be for eternity. And so what Jesus said would happen was that this Holy Spirit would come. He told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. And so the book of Acts starts with Jesus appearing after his resurrection for a period of 40 days. He's appearing and interacting with them. They watch him ascend. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. They wait. The Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. And we have a miraculous experience that takes place. And they're able to speak in languages that they didn't know all the people uh, of the day who spoke different languages were hearing these 120 people speaking and proclaiming Christ and they were understanding it in their own native tongue even though these guys didn't know their native tongue and so it was a miracle it was a sign gift that took place and as it took place Peter was able to explain because they said man these people are drunk and he says no they're not drunk this is what the prophet Joel prophesied that the Lord's spirit would fall upon mankind in the days of the Messiah. And those days are upon us. And then 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. So that's what we get excited about when a couple of kids at camp say yes to Jesus out of our group. Is That's what the mission is, is getting people to understand who Jesus is. And so on that day, 3,000 people said yes, and the church went from non-existent to 3,120 in one day. And so they 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 are continuing on, and, and the the we picked up in chapter 3, Peter and John are on the way to the temple and Luke is writing about this and he wants us to know, man, they were going to the temple one day and there was a crippled guy sitting out at the temple. He'd been sitting there for 
Uh, he was 40 years, he'd been crippled. He was a 40 year old man. And so daily he would beg at the temple gates. And so he was looking for, for some, some money to help sustain him. And Peter and John walk up. He, they asked for some, he asked for some money and they said, we don't have any money. He said, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Boom, this guy was healed. And so we see a miraculous event taking place again. And so all of the people that were on their way to the temple, man, words started circulating because this guy was causing a scene. If you've been crippled for 40 years and all of a sudden you're healed, um, there's a reason to leap for joy, right? And that's what he was doing. And so all of the people, man, they rushed over to see what in the world is going on. And they're amazed at what Peter and John did. And Peter and John quickly corrected them and said, why are you amazed at this? Why are you surprised that this happened? Why are you looking at us? It's not us that, that caused this. It was Jesus whom you crucified. And so they preached to them, man. And they're, they're bringing the good news of the gospel to them. The, 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 the people they were referring to were the actual people who were guilty for chanting crucify, crucify Jesus when Pilate wanted to release him. And so they, he broke the bad news to them, and then he told them the good news that they could be forgiven if they confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so that's, that's what's going on. And man, they, these people are holding on to every word that Peter is saying as he's preaching his second sermon, the second sermon we have in the early church. And so as he is waxing eloquently, and the crowd is in tune and listening, and I think they've been going most of the day, okay, most of the rest of the evening, um, it happened to, the healing happened about three o'clock and we know that it was toward evening time um, when, when the next events take place. Then we pick up and the, they, are, they are approached by the leaders, the religious leaders, those in power. So the most powerful people in their nation come and they are investigating what are Peter and John doing, Okay. And so that's where we're picking up in Acts chapter 4. And so I want to talk today about anxiety. <laughs> because anxiety is a real part of our culture. It's a part of our culture that people struggle with. And there are real struggles. There are real physical conditions. And I get that. But we all deal with anxiety. And anxiety is something that is somewhat uncomfortable. And, and so when we're uncertain about outcomes, we get anxious. That's what causes anxiety. I feel anxiety from time to time and I have to deal with it. I get anxious about something that may be happening in a relationship. I get anxious about a decision that may be impacting one of my children if, if, they're, if they're sick. And, when, and we get these different feelings. We get this worry that comes over us. And so we've, we've looked at anxiety and um, honestly, I, I think that I do realize that there are people with imbalances in their, in their system physically. So I get that. But I think we've too quickly labeled everybody that way. Since some people are imbalanced, I think we say, well, all of a sudden, if you struggle with anxiety, let's get you something to deal with that. And so we are short-circuiting something that is wired in our DNA that is supposed to be healthy for us. We need anxiety. There's something very important about anxiety that is very healthy that helps us. It's kind of like an indicator for us spiritual, spiritually, especially when it comes to spiritual things. And so what we need to learn to do is to control our emotions and have the courage to endure and shift <clears throat> in the midst of those anxious moments. 
So they're going to come upon us, um, and it's something that we have to deal with, and we have to learn to recognize that there's something very healthy about it for us to feel anxious about spiritual things, um, about making disciples, about sharing the good news of the gospel, about letting people know that we are people of faith. These are all things that cause people in the modern-day church to feel anxious. And so what we have to do is instead of letting our anxiety paralyze us, we have to let our anxiety move us to the next point of action. Like the anxiety for me is kind of like a dummy light in the car. You know, you don't buckle your seatbelt. Click. The light goes off. So it's annoying while it's there, but it's telling me that something needs to happen. Okay, so when I'm anxious about spiritual things, that anxiety, this is why Paul says, be anxious for nothing but in prayer. Okay, so in another part in the same book, he talks about how he is anxious. And so he's saying, this is how you deal with it. And so when anxiety happens, it's telling us that we need to shift in our thinking um, about how we're approaching something. And so we look at um, anxiety about spiritual things. And I think it's healthy for us because when we are feeling anxious about something spiritually, then it's, it's an indicator that the kingdom can move faster among us. But only if we let the anxiety help us to buckle our seatbelt because we're about to take off, as opposed to terrifying us to where we put earplugs in and just don't listen to the boop, boop, boop. So what would be an earplug? Well, I'm going to find a chemical. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to inebriate myself. I'm going to deal with this anxiety a different way. I'm going to get a sleeping pill so that I can go to sleep. And it's, it's, that's not the way we should be handling every anxious thought that we have, especially when it comes to the kingdom. It's designed to tell us something else. The early church... When it faced persecution, the more persecution it faced, the faster the kingdom moved. And so what do we want to see? Well, what I want to see is I want to see more kingdom movement. I want to see a church that is planted that has real authentic kingdom movement among its people. And so if we're going to have that kind of a ministry, then we have to be the kind of people that the early church like they exhibited. That's what the book of Acts is trying to teach us is how to live like these people lived. And what do we know about these people in the early church? Well, we know that they tried to stop Christianity with everything they could. We know that it was popular uh, among some of the governors when um, Christians were uh, persecuted by some of the Romans and they allowed it. <clears throat> then they became popular with the Jewish nation. And so what did they do? They would, they would take these believers and sometimes they would turn them loose uh, in the Colosseum and they would let out wild animals and they would be eaten in front of the crowd because they would not say that they, they would not stop proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. Okay? So you want to talk about anxiety. The early church had anxiety. How would you like to be locked up in the Roman Colosseum or in any other venue if for that matter, <clears throat> knowing that you were about to face uh, being eaten by a lion or something, and they would put a lamb's clothing on you, make you look like a, 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 a vulnerable animal and make you smell like blood and put you out there and let the lions go. And they would say, like, 
If you just would quit proclaiming Jesus, you won't have to endure this. Yet they would not stop doing it, and they would go to their death that way. Some of them were crucified. Many of them were arrested. Some of them were even dipped in oil and put on posts and used for torches to light the city at night. And so when we talk about anxiety and the things that are causing us to be anxious, we can see very clearly that when Paul says, be anxious for nothing, and Peter says, hold on and give a, uh, be very confident about the hope that you have in you and be ready to give a defense and know what you know and, and, and why you believe what you believe, there is reason for that because they face these things. And Jesus told them that they would. In Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, he says, But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand. Okay, underline that if you're taking notes. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand, before it ever happens, how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus is telling us that we have to make up our minds before the experience happens so that when the anxiety comes and when we get nervous about what we are being asked to do for the kingdom, that we can remember and be reminded that Jesus is saying, make up your mind before it happens and remember that the Holy Spirit will put in you the very thing that you need. Okay? So, like, just... We get nervous about sharing our faith. And so we hire professional people to do it. People like myself. Well, it's the pastor's job. He's going to share faith for the community. We're going to get us a youth pastor. And they're going to teach our students. And then we're going to get us a children's pastor. And they're going to teach our kids. And then we'll have a women's ministry and, and then we can expect the person who leads that, that we could bring women to that and they'll share the faith. And we'll have a men's ministry and that person will be the one that I can bring men to and they will share their faith. And those, are all, those things are all good, but what they've allowed us to do is farm everything out. Like everybody is supposed to share their faith. Everybody is supposed to make disciples. Jesus didn't say only these few. He says all of us. You say, well, man, that really makes me anxious. <laughs> it does me too. When I first started, uh, when I first started uh, it, preaching, man, I would get so anxious. I'd sit on the front row. And what, would ha what was happening in me is that I wasn't really nervous about speaking. I had come to understand this, this passage is that God would put in me everything that he wanted to say. I had prepared, I was ready, and most importantly, I had spent time with Jesus. And so, man, I would, I would just be on the front row, and I would just be rocking. Like, even today, you'll see me, I still kind of rock a little bit. It's a little bit under control, though. I, mean, I remember, uh, ironically, one of the, the first time I ever flew an airplane, I was uh, at, uh, in college, and they flew me to Kansas City to preach at some little ch church conference um, association meeting somewhere out. I don't know where we went. I'm pretty sure the guy, uh, Dave from Wendy's, 
pick me up, all right? And they drove me about two hours. And anyway, long story short, the lady, man, I was rocking back and forth. There were probably about 50 people in the room. And I, man, I was just, she was the pianist. And I, I, she, I know she was kind of watching me and everything. And, I, and she come down and said, it's going to be okay, honey. It's going to be okay. And she didn't, what she didn't know, man, is there was a fire in me. And I got up and just let it out, man. I wasn't nervous about I was just ready to get up there, okay? So, so this anxiety that you feel about doing these different things, that's okay. What's not okay is if that paralyzes you. What you have to do is you have to understand that the Lord wants to work in the midst of that. And so as we look at this passage and he says, For I will give you the words and the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. What's happening in Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 31 is we see exactly that being played out. And so let's, let's look at it and I'll give you some observations from the text, but it's a very cool story. So we have the, the crippled guy has been healed. They are teaching the crowd. And then it says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed, it says. Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And the number of men grew to about 5,000. So who are the captain of the temple guard, the priest, and the Sadducees? And why are they so upset? Well, the priests are people who were selected. It was their week of service. They were going to be the ones who were offering, um, making an offering that week. And so they were excited because they would do a rotation and it was their week to serve. Kind of like it might be your week to serve um, as a greeter or your week to serve in the kids ministry or your week to serve in whatever capacity. And so these guys, it was their week to serve and, and make the offering, the temple offerings. And so as Peter and John, as this healing took place and all these people were out there at the time of prayer because they were on their way to the temple and they, they, all the people stop and they run out to Peter. And now this thing's going on out here by Solomon's colonnade and nobody's coming into the temple. And the priests were ticked off because it was their week to serve and they were interrupting it. And it says they were greatly disturbed. The captain of the guard was upset because he was second in command to the high priest himself. He was in charge of the temple police. What the, what the Jewish people could do in the temple, Rome didn't even mess with them. They let them govern the temple area. It was almost like it was a sovereign place within this area area to where they allowed them to function as they saw fit. And then you have the Sadducees who are upset and they, they are sad. And, and, and you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection <laughs> anyway. So, uh, uh, so they are upset because why Jesus or the, the, the apostles are teaching and proclaiming about the resurrection. So they come and they seize them and they arrest them and they literally put them in jail. Now, who are these people? It's the very same people that, that Peter and John are about to face are the same people that Jesus faced. Okay, 50 days earlier, okay, get this, 50 days earlier, these very same people tried and judged Jesus and crucified him on the cross. Now Peter and John, who are teaching in the name of Jesus, have been arrested by them just like Jesus was, and they're put in prison. And so what do we see from that? is a long night. 
Okay, what is the takeaway? Well, one of the things I would take away is I see that 2,000 people came to the Lord. And whenever you're having a long night for Jesus, understand that it can turn into a great day for the kingdom. Like sometimes, man, we'll go through things that will make us really anxious and scare us, kind of terrify us. But it can turn into something where the kingdom is getting some real strong movement. And so here they are waiting all night, not knowing um, exactly what awaits them, but having to make a decision. What beforehand, like Jesus said, how are you going to handle this? Okay. now it could have been very easy for them to justify. Well, we need to we need to think about how we can advance the kingdom. And if we die, it probably isn't the best because who else is going to lead this thing? And it would have been very easy to start thinking about self-preservation. That's not what they did at all. Let's look at what they did. It says the next day, the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Okay, so they're given an opportunity to answer a very specific question. And then it says, then Peter, and this is very important, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, Luke says, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a cripple and are asked how we, he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Now, what is important about that? He is quoting Psalm chapter 118, verse 22. So he is going back and he is using scripture to build a case about the identity of Jesus. And then he says something very important for us to understand. In, 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 in a time where everybody is teaching, man, it doesn't matter what you believe, okay? Like every time, every time you see one of those stickers on the back of a car that says coexist and it has all the different religions on it, be reminded of this verse. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, to coexist is good that we don't go attack people. I get that. But I think sometimes what people who put those stickers on their cars is saying, man, let everybody believe what they want to believe. Well, according to scripture of what we find in Acts, if everybody believes whatever they want to believe, then some people are not going to be saved and are going to be eternally damned and separated from God. And we need to be reminded of that. Just because the culture is saying, oh, well, man, all roads lead to God. No, they don't. If they do, then the Bible is a sham. Jesus is a sham. Like all of it is false if this part is not true too. Like, and so we have to be reminded of why is it urgent? Why does Jesus want us urgent about the kingdom? Because salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If a person hasn't placed their life under the lordship and salvation of Jesus, they're not saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. The scripture clearly teaches us that. And so there, this is what, this is how Peter responds to the question. Uh, to the people, this is what makes this so powerful. These are the guys who crucified Jesus for saying that he was God. All right. These are the guys that they said, you killed God is basically what they're saying to him, to them. 
And this is the response of the, the gentleman. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They couldn't deny the fact that a miracle took place because all of the people were excited about it. This was happening out in public. This, this whole experience was. And so they had to acknowledge it. And so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And so they told Je Peter and John to leave. And, and uh, it says that, in, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. And here's, here's what they should have done. They should have acknowledged what they were saying is true. They should have elevated them to a position of leadership, repented of their sin, and started following Jesus. But they were more concerned about keeping their power and their position than they were at looking at the word and saying, was Jesus really the Messiah? Is what is being proclaimed right here actually the truth? And the same, so we look at that, we go, how could they have done that? The same way that a person will sit to a, through a message like this and I will say, man, the Lord is looking for all of your life. He wants you to be um, a, per, a person who's totally sold out to his kingdom. And it's easy for us to go, well, you know, um, that's good for some people, but I don't think the Lord is really asking me to do that. Yes, he is. Make no mistake. Every single one of you, he wants every single bit of you. That's the way it works in the kingdom. It doesn't work with half-heartedness. And so they should have done that, but they didn't. They're asking themselves, what do we do with these guys? They don't even know what to do with them because they realize that, um, he says, what are we going to do with these men? They ask, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all the name of Jesus. Okay, so what are they doing here? Well, legally, they had to warn them first. They had to, to kind of give them an issue and a warning. And if they didn't abide by the warning that they gave them, then the next time there would be severe punishment. Now, and we'll see that when we get to Acts chapter 5, we'll see that the punishment gets more severe and they're actually flogged because they didn't adhere to the warning that they were given at this particular time. And so it says that you, we're, they, they called them in and they commanded them, don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And so what we see in that is we see the kingdom moving because God had made a way. God was working in the midst. And even though they were arrested and should have felt incredibly anxious and probably had the desire to think like in, in more in terms of self-preservation, they said, forget it. If we're going to be crucified like Jesus, we'll be crucified like Jesus. They were protected in the midst of it. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, filling them, gave them the exact words they needed to say against these guys who were educated and, and much more prepared than they were because their whole lives have been about understanding what the scriptures taught. And so they, they, they let them go and they don't do anything with them, they just threaten them. And what is, the, what is their first response? It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, 
They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, this is kind of a model prayer, if you will, for a believer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So what do they do? They go back and report to the people who were part, probably that original 120 that God used to bring the church out of the ground. Certainly all 5,000 people weren't there because they didn't have a room to contain all of them, but they went back and reported what had happened. This is what, what, the way it went down. I'm sure they, they were all sitting in a room and said, remember when Jesus told us that you'll be brought before him? Remember we were brought before him. He gave us exactly what to say. You're not going to believe how smart Peter sounded in front of all those educated guys. And they were blown away by it. And then all of a sudden, one guy, man, he said, man, I think we should pray. And he just broke out in prayer. Sovereign Lord, we know this. And he started talking about how um, you prophesied about this in the Old Testament. We see it's happening. And so, Lord, we pray that you would embolden us. And so as we um, look at that and think through um, what are the observations for us, I'm going to give you three and a big idea real quickly. Here's the first one. Jesus owned them, and that's why he worked in them. He owned them. It was not a partial commitment from, from them. They, here's, here's what I see in this. They commanded these guys, quit talking about Jesus. And I have to spend all my time in ministry trying to convince people to talk about Jesus. That's upside down. These guys had to be commanded to quit doing it. And we're so terrified in our modern day age that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. We won't say anything about Jesus. And I, I, if we had that kind of faith in the first century, we would not have been willing to die at the stake in order to proclaim Jesus. That's just the truth of the matter. If we're so paralyzed, you know why we're so paralyzed by that? It's because Jesus, Jesus doesn't own us. That's why we're so afraid. Because we're afraid that if we say that, then these people will reject us. So guess who we love more in the process? Ourselves, because I don't want to be rejected by them as I share truth with them. If you're to be rejected by them, you're to be rejected by them. If God is asking you to move forward and he is asking all of us to move forward, we are to move the kingdom forward by proclaiming the name of Christ. And the only way that can happen is if we allow Jesus to own all of us. And then they say, whom shall we listen to? Whom shall we fear, God or man? And so their minds were made up before the question ever came. So they spoke boldly directly. But I said, what? Like in, in, in the Jewish law, if people were, were doing things and they were confirmed by a miracle, um, by an act of God, and people were being moved closer to God, then, then they had to acknowledge that it was from God. And that's kind of the, the place that Peter sort of heads them in with this argument. And so their minds were made up. And, they, and then finally, when we, when we look at the church um, in that prayer, what did they ask for? Oh, God, please stop our enemies. Lord, please come against them and don't let them attack us anymore. 
They didn't even ask for that. They said, Lord, make us more bold than we are right now, than we already are, because they knew the attacks were coming. As they knew that they were going to continue to face anxiety, and so they prayed for the boldness of the Lord to fall upon their lives so that they would speak up when the time came. Here's the second thing. They were full of it. And some of you need to get full of it. And not that it, the other it. Okay? They were full of it. What were they full of it? They were full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word pimpleme, and it means total involvement, to fill up, to cause to occur. That's what this particular word here means. This is the fulfillment of Jesus of what Jesus said would happen in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15. And so anxiety, here's, here's where I want to put this together. Anxiety over spiritual things should create an expectation in us for the Holy Spirit to be involved and cause the kingdom to break out. When I'm starting to feel anxious and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. That's probably the very thing you should be doing in the kingdom. The thing that you feel afraid to do is the very thing that you need to step into the most. And as you do, you will begin to see that the Holy Spirit is going to come and meet you right in there. And he's going to fill you with that which is necessary to um, accomplish the movement of the kingdom. And so what happened with the people? They were astonished and they took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. They had abided. Mino. They remained. They had hung out with Jesus. They continued to hang out with Jesus. We see that in the beginning from Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, Luke is telling us prayer, prayer, prayer. These people were committed to connecting with the Lord of the universe spiritually through the uh, language of prayer. And so they recognized this. Why did they recognize these men as having been with Jesus? Because they did the same things Jesus did. They looked at, what did Jesus do? People got healed. The power of God was coming out of him. When he taught, they taught as one with power and authority. So as he spoke, the spirit was upon him. Guess what? The spirit is upon them. Guess what? The spirit will come upon you. Many of you have never even experienced that. What would change about your life if you experienced the Spirit of God coming upon you in a conversation of all of a sudden the Lord is putting words in your mouth? Many it happens to me all the time as I'm pre- preaching the truth of the, of the gospel. The Lord will just, it'll just put stuff in me and it'll just come out. And I'll be like, whoa, man, where did that one come from? Well, it, it comes from the Lord. Because a lot of the stuff that, that I say, there is no way I'm smart enough to say it. It comes straight from the Lord. Like he just puts stuff in you. And anybody who has preached the gospel and been used in that capacity will tell you as, as you preach spirit filled messages, man, you're surprised by what the Lord does and says through you. And that is what Jesus said will happen. And so what else do we see about them? The word was their weapon. They referred back to Psalm 118:22 and said the, 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 the stone that is rejected will become the chief stone. And so they were breaking down the word. The word was their weapon and they handled it rightly. Ordinary, untrained men spoke with power and authority and confounded the wise and qualified. Why? Because they were filled with the spirit. They realized they were, they were people who knew Jesus because it was all over their faces. The truth was in their foreheads. It was sparkling in their eyes. It was commanding in their voices. And they were able to speak with clarity because there was a fire in their bones. And I'm reminded of Jeremiah 29. He says, he His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. See, that's why we have to abide. 
Because as we sit with the Lord and get the word in us, it wants to make its way out. And that's where we can begin to overcome these anxious feelings that keep us from moving forward in kingdom things is by sitting with Jesus and being filled with the spirit and the spirit will come out of us. And that's exactly the way the kingdom is designed to work. And so the filling comes when we yield in obedience to the word and the spirit. Now, every year um, I, I go to camp, I, I, I cook for the kids. Man, it is a challenge, too. Um, it is a challenge. I would rather cook, though, than do what Shay has to do, because he has to run around and chase them all over the campground. I at least get to stay in one place. But it is a challenge. And I always like to make it special. So I just cook the best stuff that I possibly could. And I don't want to just, you know, do mediocre stuff. And so on Thursday nights, I always cook them cinnamon rolls. I'm talking about a double rise cinnamon roll, right? I'm not talking about a, a cinnamon roll you get out of a package and you unfreeze it. I'm talking about you take some flour and some yeast and egg and you make the dough and you do all that good stuff. And then you put the filling in it. Well, here's the thing about making cinnamon rolls. And, and, I, and I've been making them for several years now and you can have a good batch and you can have a bad batch and it's all dependent upon how the yeast interacts with uh, the water okay and so if the you can make your water too hot and you could kill the yeast you could you can get old yeast and it just doesn't interact but when the yeast yields to the flour and 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 the flour and, and the yeast and the sugar and all the egg and all of them are working together man they will rise okay and then you punch them down and you roll them out and you put the filling in. And the filling is the good stuff. And to be honest with you, the filling is the expensive stuff. I put some pecans in there, amen? Pecans are expensive. I put raisins in there. For those of you who don't like raisins, uh, I'm not sure you know Jesus. And then, uh, uh, then I, uh, I just fill them up with butter, man, and it's just sugar and cinnamon. You put all that in there and then you roll it up and you cut them and you punch them down and they rise again. If they don't rise the first time, like if the, if the, if the stuff is not working together, guess what it does not get? The good stuff. Just throw it out. It's useless because all you're going to make is a brick. I've tried it too many times. And you can tell, you can tell when you're working on it. This thing is ready. Like it's going to come up good. I can tell that everything has come together right and it's going to come together and push it down and put all the good stuff. That's the way the Holy Spirit fills us is that when we're ready and we're living according to the obedience of the word, we're sitting with Jesus, we're in the word, we're learning to talk to him through prayer. And he looks at us, he's like, man, I, I'm, I can work in this. Here's a person who is what? Yielded to me. I own them. And he says, Fill them up. This one's good to go. And then he puts us in situations where he fills us even more so that the spirit can move the kingdom forward. Here's the third takeaway. They shared the good news with each other. And I'm not going to take time to, to exegete that one other than just to say, man, the first thing they did is went back and told everybody what happened. They shared the good news. They turned to each other and the Lord and they shared it and courage. And that's what happens when we share with one another the good news of what happened. So we share a story of how the kingdom is broken out in our lives and other people are encouraged by it. And this type of sharing helps everyone prepare for the next battle. So we got to get good at doing that, telling the good news of what happens. And so here's the big idea as we land this thing. So what I want you to take away. What is meant to make us weak will make us strong. Like every attack. And so we can't look at it and get so anxious and paralyzed and go, why is this happening to me? we got to look at it and go, man, this is an attack upon my life. 
The kingdom wants to move in me. Something is trying to happen. And so um, I, I need to recognize this is an opportunity for me to become strong. It becomes strong or we become strong because uh, it, we see the kingdom move faster and more when we approach it with spiritual eyes. And this is why Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. How do we walk by faith? That we make up our minds beforehand not to worry and what the answer already will be. What will the answer be? Whatever Jesus says is to come out of my mouth at that time. I quit controlling it, and I let the Lord have his way. And then what do we see takes place with them? Well, it said that the place where they prayed was shaken. Now, why was that important? I think it was important because the shaking was to encourage them to fear God more and man less. And I really feel, I feel like for, for the most part, um, what we see happening in the church is people fear man more and God less. If, 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 it, if we didn't, then we'd be sharing the gospel more. We wouldn't be so afraid to talk about our faith. Why we, well, I don't want people to think that I'm too pushy. That's, that's our kind of our blanket response. What do you want God to think? And I don't, like, I'm not advocating you going out on the corner and starting to scream at everybody, okay? I'm not, I'm not advocating that at all. But what I am advocating is when you're walking down the road and you see the cripples, in your life, the spiritually crippled people who are begging for more silver and gold, you recognize they don't need more money, they need Jesus. He said, I don't have any of that to offer you, but I can tell you about this. Let me tell you my story. And, and, and so it was shaken so their faith would be unshaken and that was encouraging. And because Pete was spirit-filled, every time he faced persecution, it just drove him closer to Jesus. And this is what we can expect when we're full of it. And I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, man, when things feel like they're getting out of control for you, like the chemical of the day for them was wine. He said, don't look to that to solve your problems. He said, don't look to like just inebriate yourself into a sleep. He says, look to the Lord, be filled. And as you're being filled with the Lord, you will see that like you will start to sing songs from your heart, not from your mouth. Okay, so there's encouragement for some of you who can't carry a tune. It's a song of the heart, which means that with every beat, the Lord is moving in you and, and you're sharing with thanksgiving to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's fascinating to think about how they were so adamant. Don't talk about that name. And they just, man, it's all over scripture. That, like the name of Jesus was so important to the early church and they talked about it all the time. How many times have you said Jesus in the last seven days? Like, like I hope it's not, you're not counting the times you were upset. <laughs> like, right? 
Like, just think about how many times has Jesus come up in your conversations? And that's, that's challenging. That's a challenging question for me. I mean, certainly, and I'm not talking about the, obviously, they're going to come up in my conversations with, with folks within the, the local fellowship. But what about um, people who don't know him? How many times does Jesus come up in the conversation? And I think that's, that, that's the t- takeaway for us, just to realize, man, w- we have to understand that we can't be afraid of the enemy, like, jacking our lives up. And that's what we're doing. We just think, man, people, people are going to think I'm a weirdo. No, they're not. Not if you're not a weirdo. Like, if you're a weirdo, they're going to think you're a weirdo, whether you, you know. But if you're not a weirdo, you could talk about Jesus. Like, it's easy. Just get over yourself and let the Spirit do His thing inside of you and you will see the kingdom begin to move. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.